Hello and welcome to the FEZ Show. It is the 30th of April and we have some great topics to discuss again today. Remember, if you're enjoying the content, you can hit that like button and that subscribe button as well. Joining me on the show today is Edward Hunter and William Dodds. Morning, boys. Hi, Jack. How's it going? Hey, Jack. Hey, Will. Yeah, it's going really well. Obviously, you know, we had an interview of Marching Wilds. Great to have him on the show yesterday, so really enjoyed that. But we have some fabulous topics once again to discuss. And I'm going to get straight into it because normally we've had rivalries before. And what I want to discuss is we want to sort of reminisce about the rivalries we've had before. But I'm sort of worried at this precise moment that Formery might not have any sort of rivalries going forward. Or, you know, one has, doesn't seem like it's going to emerge anytime soon so if i think about rivalries that we've had before like the pk and degrassi stands out to me straight away ed you know it was just a war of words you know they'd come into the press room and they'd literally eat each other alive like they just you know say each one's the worst basically like he can't drive they literally it'd literally be like bickering like children but it was fabulous at the same time and then you know when they got onto the track there was no there was no like arguing in terms of stuff it was proper brutal get out of the way push and it was a great little rivalry that formula e could feed off yeah it was and that especially during that uh, first season when both of them were uh, championship protagonists and i the instant that springs to mind most clearly for me it was monaco in that first season where i think if i remember correctly degrassi held up pk in qualifying and pk was non best pleased about it and ended up i think finishing behind him in the race so yeah, that, that and it really sort of spiraled a bit out of control from there. I think they never really liked each other, and during that first season, it really just became kind of public knowledge. Yeah, Monaco, it did. You're well remembered. Like Monaco, they literally they were arguing in front of each other in the camera. PK had a face of thunder in that, like where they where they stand in that top five. Will you know rivalries are great, and obviously Formula E can can really promote the series off it, but, you know, having two drivers like PK and Degrassi, who have, who have obviously been there, done that, you know, arguing with each other, it really helped publicise the series in its first season. Yeah, and I think something that's also important about that is that rivalries always have more heat in in them when they're, they're kind of challenging at the front. So obviously you have Degrassi and PK going for the, the, the title in, in season one, I think that that always just adds a, a like a certain intensity to the rivalry. Obviously, I think that with them, which is maybe not the same with some of our other kind of more uh, rivalries that occur later on, is that there's like a personal aspect to it as well. And I think you you could compare that to something like a, a like a Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg rivalry. It's like one of the reasons that was so intense is because they knew each other for such a long time. And I think that could be the case. With, with Degrassi and Piquet, the fact that this wasn't just, uh, you know, two drivers competing for, for a title or competing for space on the track. These were two drivers who potentially didn't like each other as well. And I think that's always something that can be added into it. And, uh, yeah, it always helps make the rivalry even more fierce. Yeah, and prizes. Because obviously both of them were sort of challenging for the title, as you said earlier. And when you mentioned the, the Hamilton-Rosberg rivalry, obviously, you know, they were pictures of being great friends. Like, you know, when Hamilton got his first win, the hug, Rosberg was on the podium and, you know, they were hugging each other. You know, fast forward to 2014-15, they literally can't stand the sight of each other anymore because the prize ed is so huge. And obviously, yes, you could say Formula E's prize uh, championship isn't as huge as a Formula 1 championship, but for a championship that you're fighting in, it's still pretty huge. So you know, that also would have fueled that rivalry. I remember reading a um, 
in the uh, sort of the preview uh, guide that came at the London Inquiry at the end of the first season, there was an interview with Degrassi where he basically said, well, you know, the first title seems really important now, but after that, it's going to be the second title and the, then it will be the most important, then the third title. So overall, because he was an outsider for the championship at that point, after being disqualified in Berlin. So he just went, well, it's not that important. I don't care who wins. And obviously, you know, deep down, he really does. But he's just saying that because he hates us. Yeah, and then obviously we had that rivalry. And then the rivalry that then sparked the following season was obviously between him and and, uh, Degrassi and Sebastian Buemi, sorry. where And that rivalry really heated up towards London. Now, obviously, London will... It was... The championship final but you know it had that center pros feel because i don't know why but it, it had that because you know you're going into that race and obviously the grassy was leading the championship but bawemi was on pole and bawemi had the quicker car and bawemi was probably still favorite to win that championship despite the grassy being in the lead and you know everything was fueled towards what would happen in that first corner when they crash and when you have people in the paddock talking about I think the grass is going to pun him off. I think we're going to see, you know, a proper, you know, a proper shun, a proper something that's going to be spectacular, and we're going to be talking about for years like we still are now, and and that feels a rivalry. And I still think there's probably that rivalry between them today, just from what happened in London in season two. Yeah, I mean, if you're going for a title and your closest rival punts you off at the first corner, that's not something you're going to kind of forget in a hurry, is it? Um, but yeah, I think this is this is uh, probably the the best rivalry you've seen, just because it's two drivers who were going against each other for titles for I think like three seasons. It wasn't just that kind of with PK. Obviously, he had the win in season one, but then kind of was immediately falling backwards after that. Whereas these guys kind of sustained over a number of seasons a battle right at the front, just between the two of them. And I think those are the best the best kind of rivalries. It plays over it plays out over like a really long period of time. Um, so yeah, that, that, that was, uh, and I think something that, that we kind of mentioned off camera is that I think potentially both of them are quite spiky characters. Um, you know, we've seen Buemi, uh, we mentioned Buemi's rant in one of our, our previous um, episodes as well, kind of one of the crazy moments in Formula E. And yeah, he's clearly someone who, who kind of wears his heart on his sleeve and obviously Degrassi, you know, going up against PK in season one, and then by by kind of virtue of of Degrassi, uh, Buemi being his biggest rival in season two, that kind of played out with him. So I think that I, I really like these kind of one on one battles with two drivers going for the title. I think they they kind of allow each other to like in they kind of put all their uh, their interest on on each other, and almost sometimes like the other drivers get a little bit forgotten. But it's a really interesting dynamic when that happens. Yeah, I agree, Will. And another thing that I think is important to mention is there was a big battle in the constructors in those seasons between Ab Schaefer, Audi and Sport and Renault Edams, of course, which both of those drivers drove for. So their teammates were sort of involved in a way as well. And of course, Renault Edams won the constructors, I think, three years in a row before Audi finally got it the year after in season four. Yeah, so what I was going to say was was the rant. Um, obviously, that happened in the end of season three in Montreal, and obviously Sebastian Buemi had missed the New York round, so everything was on the line, and you know the championship was up for the fight, and you know Buemi had, you know, sort of surrendered the title by missing the double header in New York, and I think that fueled the rivalry because he knew then he'd allowed his rival in Degrassi, you know, to to get the better of him this season, and you know by missing that race, 
there was so much on Bawemi to lose and, and he just exploded. And, and I, I really think that was probably just due to the rivalry, the intense rivalry that he had with, with Degrassi. Yeah, absolutely. As you say, those, those things kind of, they evolve over time and I think they almost get, they kind of weigh down on you more over time. Um, and, you know, those guys would have got to the point where they're just obsessed with beating one another, um, you know, and I guess... For Degrassi, it must have been hard because he was obviously the one who'd missed out now on two occasions. And I think Wemi would have also just been feeling the pressure of, of staying on top. Obviously, you know, in the early days of Formula E as well, these people are kind of, they know that they've got the opportunity to kind of stamp their name down in, in history and be the kind of like early front runner, one of the like pioneers and, you know, someone that we're going to come back in, in 10 years and look at and say, oh, look, they were the kind of, they were the first big name in Formula E. They were the first one to kind of dominate the series. So there's a lot on the line, even though, you know, what Ed referenced about what Degrassi was saying, you know, the first one, the second one's always going to, always goes forward about what's going to be the most important. But I think <clears throat> winning those early titles and uh, and stamping down your authorities is um, something that would have meant a lot to them. And it's interesting that actually it's potentially Jean-Éric Verne, who now will be the, the guy that we look back on as being that, that one to kind of, be the first dominant driver in Formula E rather than either of those two. Yeah, because it's interesting you say Vern like that because I was literally about to say, you know, Degrassi and Bawemi were the best drivers in Formula E like at the beginning. Season one, two, three, even four potentially, but obviously that's when John Eric Vern really started to put things together. Um, he So you're right in what you're saying. People, you know, people talk about eras, like the first era of Formula E, who was the best driver? So you have like the one man, well, Fangio's in, in Formula One and Ascari. And in Formula E, you know, there will be a time when we come back to look at those figures of who was the most influential drivers. And we probably will put Vern now first because of his double championships, unless anything changes between obviously now and maybe, you know, Formula E's 10th season. But Ed... I think, you know, with those two actually being the best drivers and probably were the only drivers who probably could challenge for the title in those first three seasons, there wasn't really anyone else which, you know, probably would have merited a championship push in those three seasons. So it, it makes sense that that rivalry got so intense. Well, apart from PK in the first one, but I know what you mean, Jack. I think if uh, Bremi and Degrassi are the Senna and Prost of Formula e, then John Eckburn would probably be the Michael Schumacher of Formula E, given... Uh, how dominant or relatively dominant he has been the past few seasons and um and yeah I, I think i think it's really hard to look it was really hard to look past Bremen to grass especially in season two and three when they have by far uh, the most competitive cars on the grid yeah so but my problem is now is i can't see another rivalry emerging like i you know we've had a title decided you know even last season we had five drivers going for that title i know Vern was favorite but you couldn't really pitch a rivalry, Will, because Van was so dominant that, you know, the drivers, you couldn't, there was no real match to sort of put him. It was, everyone was expecting Van to do it, which he did. And then, you know, you're looking at the drivers now, and we've mentioned some drivers. To me, I think a driver who could get into a rivalry, and especially if he was pushing Jean-Eric Verne or Antonio Felix da Costa, um, would be Mitch Evans, because you can really see, you know, Mitch Evans probably will have that fiery side, like, you know, that type of driver like Degrassi and Bawemi and Piquet, you know, those drivers that real, really fuel rivalries. Um, but, you know, we've mentioned drivers like Maximilian Gunther, you know, da Costa... 
but they just they all seem really nice at this moment in time and when you're really nice it's really hard to see you know rivalries form you could have had one last season with da costa and sims when they crashed into each other at marrakesh and it all ended up you know it's all okay we all like each other we all understand you know there was a real chance to have a rivalry there between teammates because they crashed into each other and they were both obviously bmw and marrakesh were probably the best team at that time but it didn't happen so i don't know where the next feud or the next rivalry is coming from will i i definitely see potential between uh jean Verne and antonio felix da costa i think that obviously this has been established over the last two seasons or so as very much being Jean Verne's team. Um, you know, he's the double champion. He's kind of taken to Cheetah to being like one of the best teams in, in Formula E. And I I personally think that having someone like DaCosta come in who's clearly incredibly quick um and potentially has the edge in qualifying so far over Verne this season will be a big threat to him. Um I think that at the moment you have drivers like Gunther and, and Evans who are kind of putting themselves between uh, between uh, De Costa and Jen Fern. But you know, if if it, as the season kind of plays out and DS2 to become like the dominant team, I can see how that rivalry would would he, um, would kind of escalate. Uh, I think that those are definitely two drivers who. Are, are very talented and I just can't, you know, I don't see how two goes into one with that team. I think the thing with potentially Evans and with maybe Gunther as well is I do think that they have the legs on their teammate. I know a lot of people like Alexander Sims, but I do think Gunther's got the legs on him. So I, I just always think that those inter-team battles are always the best in a way. And, you know, you talk about um, Prost and Senna, but that rivalry was really started when they were together at McLaren before kind of Prost moves on, on to Ferrari. Um, I, I, and, you know, you look at other rivals like, like Hamilton and Alonso or, or Hamilton and Rosberg. It's always like, I think it's those inter-team. And I think that that extra close contact, that kind of knowing that you have the same equipment and knowing that there are no excuses if you lose is something that always just makes it more juicy. So, yeah, I, I'd like to see a rivalry develop between DaCosta and Jeff. Firstly, because I think they're two of the best drivers on the grid. I think you always want it to be with some of the best. And secondly, because they're in the same team. Yeah, I think it's a shame, really, that obviously COVID-19 has come and we've probably robbed us of this battle developing because you're right in what you're saying. Jeff has stamped his authority down as, you know, the, that tech cheater driver. It's his team. And the Costa has come in this season and being him, Ed. And it's just like, you know, how would Jeff respond? And so far, Jeff hasn't really responded in any way. Like, he's sort of just taken it on the chin and gone, you know what, it's okay. But when it comes down to crunch time... You know, maybe we're expecting an incident to happen between those two drivers. Or as it gets closer towards the end of the season, if they were still both in the championship fight, then maybe that could be the next rivalry that we face. I've got to be honest, Jack. I feel slightly bad for um, Tichita, especially Mark Preston, because here we are talking about, oh, we hope the Costa and Vern, something happens and they run into each other more and cause problems for each other. And that's exactly what Mark Preston and the Tichita team do not want. So... I always feel like oh, we're trying to like play devil's advocate here, try and ruin things for Tachita and fuel this sort of speculation, especially at a time when there's a no race. Well, there's obviously some racing going on, but there's no real racing going on where they could have potentially rob each other of championship points. And uh, we, like I said, we saw it uh, nearly happen in Santiago in Mexico. There was a lot of team orders 
swapping back and forth, which neither driver seemed particularly happy about, although De Costa came out on top that day in both in both instances actually because Verne retired in Santiago with damage. But yeah, I don't necessarily I, think a, a rivalry is about the drivers colliding though. I think that a good rivalry will often just be like two drivers battling for a title and just you know kind of slugging out and seeing who can be quickest, not necessarily get running into each other. Yeah, I, I, I think, think you make a good point, Will, because um, obviously from the, the point of view of uh, a rivalry, it's a sort of kind of a luxury of a problem to have because you've got two drivers running up at the, uh, at the front. You've also got the problem of, yeah, it, if you're not managing it carefully enough, it can boil over. Yeah, and there's always going to be argy-bargy. Like, there's always going to be incidences where they will touch. It might not be like it takes them out of the race touch, but they'll touch. You know, think Hamilton, Rosberg you know, Spa, where the front wing sort of goes, you know, Prost-Senna when they collided at Suzuka. Like, I reckon there will be, might not be this season, it could be next season, but there might be somewhere where, you know, they're they're at a stage and they're pushing each other. And, you know, they do touch and that fuels, and one is worse off than the other. And, you know, that fuels something else and it just all reignites the fire between them. Obviously, yeah, you're right, Ed, in what you're saying. Obviously, Mark Preston, he doesn't want a rivalry and he's, he's done well so far in calling the rivalry. You never know, Lotterer was getting much better and better. Maybe Lotterer, you know, if he was still in that team, could have really pushed Jeff this season. Um, and maybe, you know, that friendship that they seem to have built up and, and, and promoted so much in social media, you know, would have really become dented. But... I suppose we have to wait and see for rivalries. It just seems like at the moment, when you see all the former re-drivers talking to each other, that they're all too friendly to have a rivalry. Like, they're all like, oh, don't worry, mate, it's okay. You know, better luck next time. That's what it seems. And these are all fierce competitors, but they seem to just get on far too much to see um, to see a rivalry. From Isn't that a good thing? Like, in terms of human relationships and stuff? It's, it's, it's a great thing. Don't get me wrong that they can, they can be well and, and obviously get along with each other. But at the same time, you want that little bit of spice like any sort of good meal i suppose um but moving on um we obviously a couple of days ago we talked about the possibility of of ferrari joining formula e and, and if ferrari need formula e um which we all had our own opinions on but there's another company that i really want to talk about and obviously has been the forefront and sort of dominated the electric vehicle market for years and that is tesla now obviously tesla is a luxury sort of brand that's how they've sort of promoted themselves they're not like a, a nitty-gritty uh you know race team and, and they've got that sort of history they're sort of a luxury electric vehicle but they've been at the head of the game for ages now and i think no other car manufacturer can can say no into that but now the likes of mercedes porsche you know bmw audi all in in formula e and pushing the boundaries of electric vehicles are tesla in the future and i think you know personally i think this could happen you know is that gap going to completely shrink and maybe those teams will in formula e will overtake tesla so therefore yeah tesla might be the luxury brand and you know oh great you own a tesla but in terms of actually owning an electric vehicle you might as well own a mercedes because you'll get an extra 200 miles of range compared to your tesla it's, re it's really difficult to say, isn't it? Um, obviously, kind of Formula E is very much in its in infancy in, in kind of relative terms. And I think that it takes a lot of time to kind of build the prestige and, and reputation of a, of a championship. Um, obviously, Tesla has kind of gone about marketing their product and kind of building their reputation in a slightly different way from away from motorsports. But, you know, it, it'll be interesting. Formula E is you know, relatively a niche sport in comparison to, to many others. And 
I think it will largely depend on on how these brands develop within Formula E and and kind of how much attention they're putting into their their kind of EV programs because you know it's very easy to kind of go into Formula E and say like look how green we are we're doing electric racing but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know it could just be a PR stunt it could just be you know part of a, a large um, attempt in order to kind of promote your electric vehicles you don't quite know the extent to you know what the motivation between joining Formula E is just yet um, you know until you see that kind of commitment to electric vehicles over a long period of time so it, it's difficult to say at this point because I do think it's, it's still early days. Because for me, you know, as soon as Formula E was created, the first question everyone asked, is Tesla going to join? That was, and it still happens today. When is Tesla going to join Formula E? Because when you think electric vehicles, you think Tesla. And just that's simply because, Ed, Tesla were the first, you know, manufactured the first company in a sense to pursue the electric vehicle and to pursue it properly, um, like, like Tesla have done. Yeah, they were really, I think, one of the first electric vehicle companies to sort of market electric electric cars properly really because we had there you think back to historical flops like from like say clive sinclair in the 80s with the sinclair c5 with the little chair basically it just really it just looked really slow and kind of uncomfortable and uh, not very practical uh, for anything other than just a quick got jaunt down the high street but then uh tesla really came along and changed the game the thing is like uh will said and like you said jack it's they don't really use racing as part of their marketing at all and that means that the, there's not as much pull for them to go to formulae i don't think because so much of their strategy is we're talking about the to, to this year they became the second most valuable uh, manufacturer in the world like just behind i think the in terms of valuation, they're only behind uh, Toyota overall. And uh, Toyota has existed since 1937. Tesla's existed since 2003. So they, they definitely don't need the money. <laughs> well, well, obviously, everyone needs money, especially at a time like this. So maybe I've spoke too soon there. But, um, but yeah, I, I definitely can see why Tesla might think, oh, Formula E need us more than we need Formula E. It's, in, it's interesting that you say that because... At this time, we were talking about Ferrari needing Formula E, and I think most, I, for example, say, for, you know, Ferrari will need Formula E at some point, or will need to be in Formula E in some shape or form, whether it's through a sister company, just to make sure that the technology is feeding through, and they're not falling behind their rivals. And I just feel, I know Tesla really hasn't pitched itself as a rival to Mercedes, or as a rival to to whatever sort of manufacturer, but I feel like at some point, it might not be now, it might not be now, but in five, six, ten years' time, Will, you know, Mercedes, the Porsche electric vehicles, the Audi electric vehicles, they'll be hitting the market and they'll be becoming more and more popular. And especially as, you know, especially in the UK and in other countries when we get closer and closer to 2040, when, you know, you're not allowed to produce any petrol vehicles. So in that time, you know, Tesla itself could lose all that market share, could lose everything if their cars no longer have the technology or can keep up with the manufacturers that are in Formula E or the companies that are in Formula E who are then producing electric vehicles in the future that probably will be better than Tesla cars. Yeah, I mean, it all depends on on how much of their development in terms of Formula E is being kind of fed back onto their road operation. Um, and it's, it's difficult to know exactly 
kind of how much that is. I guess it also depends on the way that other series decide to position themselves. You know, are are other championships going to go down a more kind of hybrid route? Are they going to do go down more electric route? Um, that's something we still don't know. And um, as you say, Formula E is still in its infancy. So I think you're right in saying that this impact is definitely going to be felt five, ten years down the line rather than right now. But it's an interesting point you raised about kind of Porsche, Mercedes. You know, these are luxury brands in the kind of non-electric market. And they definitely have the, the standing and the reputation to compete with Tesla if they get their electric vehicles right. So I'm sure that Tesla view them as a threat. It's just about whether going to Formula E makes that less of a threat or not. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Like, I, I personally, I'd love to see Tesla fighting and actually putting their name up against and saying, look, we are the electric vehicle daddy in a sense. Like, you ain't going to beat us. We're going to stay on top. And, you know, have that competitive spirit. I'm not saying Tesla need to make their own team. I'm, I'm not. We've got American teams. Obviously, one's tapped up with um, BMW, but you've got Dragon. And, you know, just becoming an OEM partner with Dragon, that might be enough. You're not actually being a formula e team you're just providing a powertrain and if dragons all of a sudden shoot up to the top because they've got tesla powering them people are gonna go oh yeah tesla are are the brand to buy um in terms of an electric car like tesla is still the brand that's you know looking at mercedes when they've been winning the formula one world championship ed their car sales are through the roof because mercedes are winning therefore mercedes produced the best cars therefore i should buy a mercedes that's what a lot of people a lot of people based what they buy their cars or or who is a good car based on how they're performing sometimes out on a racetrack yeah when you said that oh what if tesla bought a uh, dragon i thought to myself hang on isn't giancarlo Pizzuto going to buy a dragon well we don't know that that's just speculation we'll see what we he says know. when you interview him tomorrow of course but um look forward to that but I, I think you have to remember in the case of Dragon particularly, they tied up previously with um, a startup EV company. Obviously, no one is successful as Tesla have been, but Faraday Future. And unfortunately, Faraday Future fell into huge uh, financial difficulties. And Tesla, they've been through the rocky periods. They weren't profitable until about last year. So, yeah, they definitely, Tesla, they were pretty attractive already, but they're a lot more attractive to, say, a team like Dragon that could really use the, the support and in terms of but as we said before a team like dragon really value their independence so you could see it going you can see a lot of reasons for it you could see a lot of reasons against it yeah i just think there will be a time where obviously tesla might need to join and if they don't join they might see the consequences from that if they or they might never join formulary and nothing ever happens for them they continue to progress electric vehicles and maybe always be one step ahead we don't know but I think it'd be great to just see their name in some shape or form linked with Formula E in the future. Might not be now, but definitely in the future, especially if they do start losing out. If, they, if Mercedes and Porsche and Audi, whatever, close that gap to Tesla, then I think Tesla might think, okay, we might need to get involved somewhere or some shape or form, um, and which they potentially were doing with the Tesla Model S, but I don't think it was... Um, uh, linked to Tesla as much in the electric GT championship, which hasn't really come to fruition. Um, so we have a YouTube question. So a moving on to this segment of where you at home can ask some questions and we can answer them in the chat or in the chat show now. So we have a great question from Ryan and Ed Ryan asks, why are there so many crashes in Formula E? Well, Ryan, the answer to your question 
predominantly, in my opinion, lies with the tracks because the tracks are they're built on existing uh, you know, street layouts, so they have to work with what they've got. Often they can be quite narrow. What Formula often does is they put in, and especially in circuits we see in Bern and Rome, they put in these quite narrow, tight chicanes, which often, especially on the first lap, if a driver gets it wrong and causes sort of basically a red flag because there's nowhere to go for, to avoid them, then that is often the reason why we see even cars sort of piling into each other. Uh, so I, I definitely think the circuits are a big part of it, in my opinion. But what do you guys think? Um, personally, I, yeah, track layout is a thing, but I think there's just because it's a street circuit, and it's there. These are not street circuits that have like FIA mandatory sort of tarmac. It's they're they're just proper street circuits with different track layouts. And if you run wide, or if you make one tiny mistake, you're in that wall because you're gonna lose grip wheel and you know you're gonna crash and i think we've seen that you know think sam bird and stoffel van dorn in mexico yes you know that those were you know proper um street tracks um not street tracks sorry but you know they still managed to make that mistake and still managed to crash yeah i think i think the circuits certainly have a huge part to play in it and you look at any other form of motorsport when you drive on street circuits crashes are are more regular so it would make sense if formula is always driving on street circuits, they're going to have more crashes. Another part of it probably is the, um, the there's less aerodynamic wake in Formula E than most other single seaters. And aerodynamic wake usually prevents cars from getting up close to each other. And you'll often, as a result, see Formula E cars kind of running nose to tail. And this obviously just means that there's more likely to be contact because the cars can get so much closer to each other. You know, often because I guess because they're kind of able to take a bit of um, impact, as you see, kind of like Max Gunter losing his, losing one of his wheel covers in uh, in Deria and kind of still being able to compete the race. They are kind of less reliant than you know if you like nick uh, the front of a front wing um, of a Formula One car, they basically can't go. Whereas in Formula E, they can kind of they can kind of ride out this small amount of damage more. So that means that they're more willing to get up close and personal with each other, going through tight corners. They're more able to take risks and all of this just results in, in more incidents. Um, another part is just that there's less field spread. So, you know, the distance, the speed distance between say Neo three through three at the back and the car at the front is smaller than perhaps you'd see in other series. Um, so there's just more cars that can, can go. There's more variance in terms of qualifying position. They can run closer to each other on the track. And then there's more teams running closer to each other on track. And it just all means that incident is more likely. Yeah. The thing is, I don't mind that obviously they're being crashed as long as people are safe. But it makes it obviously it makes it interesting. Um, and obviously, as the field is so tight together and we've got these street tracks and, and the walls are so close, if you make a mistake, that's it. You're binning it. You you don't have, you know, all the drivers say you don't have these runoff areas where you can just, you know, save yourself in a sense but great question ryan if you have any other questions please put them in the comments below and we will answer them in the show boys before we go i've just got one thing to t talk about which is extreme e now we've talked about extreme e but they've come out this morning and made a big statement by saying that you know it's going to be mandatory for teams to field a male driver and a female driver in order to you know show prove and and show gender equality will what did you make of that announcement i mean I think it, it's a, a good idea. It's make something to set extreme E apart. And I think that, you know, if they've got a, a decent stable of 
of women drivers as well as men, men drivers, then I think that there's, there's a, it's a really good idea. Um, we've already seen with W Series that uh, there are a number of talented women drivers out there who potentially weren't getting the opportunity previously. So I think that, that if that's the way they want to go, um, I think that there's probably going to be the interest and there's going to be um, the opportunity to do it. Then I think, I think why not, if that's the way they want to go. I think it's a good idea. Yeah, for, for me, Ed, like, I think it's a good idea. I think it's great to obviously get more females in, into, the, into that motorsport and improve the gender equality. But what I'm worried about is that if we go to an extreme event and, you know, the male drivers are consistently ahead of the female drivers, you might be trying to prove gender equality by having, you know, two drivers in the same team um, of the same sex. But at the same time, if the males are dominating in the race, then you're not really proving that gender equality, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting because I read up about this. What they have, what they're proposing is a sort of co-driver thing where you will have, say, the male driver will start the race and then there'll be a point halfway through where they'll swap. But the driver who's not driving will be in the co-driver seat giving you know, co-driver directions and stuff like that. So they're both going to be involved no matter who's in the driving seat, which I thought was interesting, as opposed to sort of mandatory having a, a lady driver in the team. I prefer it to W Series. I, I, never, I was never a big fan of W. I, I really like the drivers in W Series, most of them, but I never liked the way it was a sort of segregated championship. I always felt a little a little off to me personally. I know it's a controversial opinion, but we won't get too much into that. Uh, but I sort of prefer the way that Extreme E are doing it. And it's, it's, to be honest with you, it's still like, there's still so many questions about Extreme E about their race format, because if they are going to be a co-driver, it looked like it was going to be like a rally cross, very like, very short sprints to sort of like get to a crazy race, then your semi-final and a race. But if they're going to be hours, hours long, it does. it's going to be a huge event to, to fit Extreme E in when you've got a, you know, semi-finals, a crazy race and a final all to fit in, in in a space of what, two hours or, or, or six hours? Like, I, I, we obviously, we don't know how long their event is going to be. And obviously, when you say their drivers are going to switch, then, you know, how long are these races going to be? Are they going to be like an hour long? Like, we have, we have no idea at this point. So are they going to like shuffle over each other as well in the yeah. garden? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how, how that develops. But boys... We come to the end of the show again. Thank you so much for being on. Oh, pleasure, Jack. Thanks, Jack. No worries. And if you know if you're enjoying the content, please remember to hit that like button and hit that subscribe button. It really helps us out. Uh, we will see you tomorrow as we preview the eSport events from the Formula E test track in Leicester in America, and you know talk all about that. So make sure you join us for that, and we will see you tomorrow. Goodbye. <laughs>